0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email Joe at directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 145 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, and after last week's episode, a few of you did reach out to me on social media. Some of you shared similar concerns regarding the current trajectory. Of Panini products, and a couple of you knew of examples of the wrong player being featured on cards prior to the Panini era. A couple of that come to mind real quick: one of them was Joe Forte. You guys remember that name? Well, Joe Forte was pictured on Joe Johnson's SPX rookie, um, and then a pair of Clippers got mixed up on Lorenzen Wright's 1996-97 Hoops NBA rookies insert. That one featured Lloyd Vaught instead, so. Um, You know, that was a blast from the past. The sample size was still small though. I haven't found a year that's had multiple photo errors uh, Let alone five like we got with Panini this year, but hey, they could be out there and I just don't know it So thank you to those of you that reached out It was a lot of fun seeing those for the time being though, you know That's what we're stuck with in the card world which has me very excited for the future and what that might hold And I don't know if the changes that come with Fanatics will live up to that excitement, but I'm definitely ready to find out. In the meantime, I want to offer up some ideas to them about memorabilia cards. I don't feel like I'm any sort of expert or anything, but I think it's a great time in general for collectors to speak up and let them know what you want to see. Because who knows, it might actually happen. Your ideas might gain some traction. So, Um, likewise, I'm going to do the same today. I've got six big ideas for fanatics branded memorabilia cards that I want to share with you. I'm going to try and get some of these ideas typed out as well. I guess you could call it my memorabilia manifesto. Anyway, that's going to be part of today's main segment. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. Before then, I want to touch on a single hobby headline real quick. And then as usual, I've got some mail that I want to share as well. So it's a full show today. Let's jump in last Thursday collectors universe put out a press release to announce that they had acquired card ladder I know you guys have heard about it by now it's been all over social media podcast you know cannot keep up with social media which is 24 7 but um, I did want to mention it though because I wanted to say congratulations to everyone at the card ladder team um, Josh Christina Chris Nick and then I think there's a couple other people behind the scenes that I don't know I've had a lot of people ask what Um, what I think this means for the hobby. And truth be told, I don't know. You know, it's too early to tell. Um, I will say this. I like what they do. I enjoy the crossover. And if they want to keep doing what they're doing with more backing behind them now, well then, in theory, yeah, it should get better. Um, However, even though that in itself is exciting, the one piece of card ladder news from this week that I'm really happy about is something that kind of flew under the radar in this whole flurry of activity. Um, You see, the same time that all of that was going on, they added a feature to their site that allows you to track eBay sales history all the way back to the year 2000. This was something that we had with PWCC, talked about it before, you know, remember when they got booted by eBay, it all went away, and I was pretty bummed out about that. Um, You guys know I did an episode, because, you know, we had already lost a lot of valuable hobby history in a relatively short amount of time. And that one seemed like yet another crushing blow. So for them to work out some sort of code or some sort of agreement, um, and I'll be honest, I'm not a tech guy. I don't know how that works. But for them to bring all that back, that is something worth celebrating. Um, I know I mentioned eBay history earlier, but it's actually, I think there's a dozen different places, Golden, Heritage, Leland's, and so on, um, that they're going to be grabbing that information some uh, information from. So um If you can't tell, I'm very happy about that. I don't have a lot of thoughts about the PSA move yet, but the pricing thing is huge for me and there's no promo here. I don't have any affiliate link for them. This is an instance where they added something that I think is really beneficial to the hobby and I want to share it. So you make that call for yourself if you want to sign up or not. Okay, uh, on to the mail. Now, I already posted it on my Instagram, but I want to mention it here real quick I got an awesome care package from Kyle, um, AKA clips involves. I'm not talking about myself, I'm not, um, psycho, right? Um, so clips involves, you might remember him from episode 96. He sent me a healthy dose of Pacers and fever cards for my collection. It was meant to be a Christmas gift, but it showed up on my birthday, which he didn't know about. Um, it had been, it had been a long day too. So that was a nice bonus. So, um, thank you again for that. Speaking of Clippers, I bought a Clippers card this week, which as you guys know is not normal for me at all. Uh, For one thing, I'm buying Pacers or another thing I'm buying Legends. And well, let's face it, there's not a lot of Legends that have worn that uniform um, or at least had their best days in those uniforms. But um, I got a 2012-2013 Panini Innovation Statline patch of Blake Griffin numbered 14 out of 25. This is a set that Panini did in both years of Innovation features a game dated patch and then also has the stat line for that game across the front of the card. So, hence the name stat line. And a lot of the Blake patches I've seen from this set have been relatively plain. This one was pretty chunky and I got it at a great price. Um, I've grabbed a few of the bigger names before from this set before things got crazy. And actually um, I mentioned it before, but G aka the lucky show, he gifted me the curry, which was incredibly generous And it's still one of my favorite cards. So thank you, G. Um, But like I said, now, you know, I have a few of the bigger names. I'm trying to go back and grab some of the other guys as well. So Blake was included in that. You know, it's not a main priority of mine, but I figure if I grab some here and there, maybe someday I will have pieced both sets together. Okay. The final card I picked up, because it was kind of a light mail week. Final card I picked up was an eBay purchase from a product that I normally ignore. Um, it's not that it's a horrible product necessarily, but it just doesn't have cards that really interest me. It was a 2020-2021 Panini Obsidian Gold Parallel of Malcolm Brogdon, numbered 6 to ten, numbered six out of 10 is what I should say. Um, and the reason I bought this card is because it features a picture from a Pacers Magic game that I went to last season. Uh, In fact, it was a game that I talked about here on the podcast because it was shortly after Arenas finally started opening up with the pandemic and everything. So um, I have a small collection of cards that feature photos from games that I went to. You know, I mostly go to Pacers Magic games, so it's not too hard to figure that out. Uh, You know, you just look for Magic Defenders in the photos and see if it's in Orlando or not. But um, this one was a little trickier because the background of the photo was cropped out there is a way around that, though. On a lot of the newer Panini cards, if you just flip it over, they if they use a picture on the back, it's usually going to be the same one, and they'll show you a little bit of the background. So I did that. I saw the royal blue seats. I saw Michael Carter Williams. From there, I hopped on Getty Images. I saw if it was a uh, to see if it was a match. Yes, it was the April 9th game. So I had to add that to the PC. And for ten to fifteen dollars, I figured I should add the gold instead of the base card even though they look very similar. That's why I'm not huge on Obsidian, but um, you know, I figured I wanted the, the rarer one if that was at all possible. Okay. Um, so that's it for mail. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, before I move into today's main segment, I do want to show you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast, but I want to keep this show free. So as a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you want to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. I have a lot of people message me, hey, I wanted to use your link, but I couldn't remember it. It's just the name of the show, waxmuseumpodcast.com. Um, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast com this is slick leonard you're listening to the wax museum podcast boom baby okay so the last couple listener mailbags i've done uh several people have asked me about my ideal memorabilia set or what i would do with the fanatics license and you know i enjoy that kind of stuff i think those questions are fun it seems like people are definitely interested in those kind of things But usually, you know, I just give an answer that fits the timing and the format of the mailbag. So I haven't done any real big segments revolving Fanatics because I wanted to see if we could get more information, which we have over time. Um, Josh Luber, which I'm sure you know about, the guy that Fanatics has kind of put in charge of its trading card division. He's been on several shows as of late to talk about the transition and what that could entail. So there's still a lot of mystery, but at least we know a little bit more And it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit. And I don't, you know, that shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, I host a basketball card podcast. But um, when this whole takeover was announced, a lot of collectors seemed scared. And I think part of that was just fear of the unknown. Well, truth be told, the future of basketball cards is pretty exciting for me right now because there are so many unknowns. And there are so many cool things that fanatics can do with cards if they want to. And I think now's an appropriate time for collectors to be very vocal about the things they'd like to see happen. You know, don't do it after Fanatics has already started. Do it now. Um, And if it wasn't evident from last week's episode, I'm not really happy with the route Panini's gone with the basketball license. I think you've picked up on that by now. Um, And I'm not trying to bash Panini week in and week out. That is not my goal. That is not what you will necessarily hear on this show from here until the, the day they lose that license. Um, you know, I hope also that my mail day segments have introduced you to the things that I think they've done really well. So this, this is two-sided. There's things I like, there's things I don't. Um, because the pieces that they've done well, those are the things I'm buying. Those are the things I'm proud to add to my collection. Like that Blake Griffin. I went out of my normal uh, PC buying because that was something they did well and I appreciated that. Those are the pieces I want to tell other people about. Those are the pieces I want Panini to continue making. Um, now, a lot of them are from a point in time when Panini was courting collectors, and they did a lot of really cool, innovative stuff. Um, some of it is is stuff I hope Fanatics latches onto in the future, but you know, for Panini, that ship appears to have sailed, and a lot of those things stopped long before Fanatics announced they had acquired the license, and long before COVID, for that matter. We've been on this trajectory for a while. Uh, But now that they will have the license in the near future, I hope Fanatics courts collectors in the same way. And I hope they'll continue to do so long after they've won collectors over. So what I have for you today is a list of six ideas I have for Fanatics that pertain to memorabilia cards specifically. I've listened to all of the Luber interviews I can find where he talks about the future of Fanatics, the future of cards. I read through his massive, I think, 50 plus page PDF that he published not long ago Um, that didn't really explain fanatics. And that's, that's not what he was out to do anyway, but it gave us a good look into his mindset nonetheless. So I've got some ideas for memorabilia cards that I think fits into the direction he wants to see cards take. I think these are ideas that will bring value to their brand. Um, You know, however they choose to name and mold it. And I think these are ideas that can bring value to collectors and investors alike. And that um, that last part might surprise some of you. You know, it's obvious that I lean heavily toward the collector side of things, but I want to be mindful of the fact that investors and investor-oriented people occupy this space as well, and they're going to be buying these products. One more disclaimer before I jump in with these six ideas. I understand that there are costs associated with them, and some of the costs probably aren't realistic. But instead of trying to scale things down or limit them from the start, I'm going to talk about what I'd like to see um, with the understanding that, yes, they might have to evolve a little bit over time or they might have to adapt. But you know what? On the other hand, I think every one of these ideas could add value to products for both producer and consumer. So sometimes you have to spend money to make money. Just remember, though, at the end of the day, I'm basically fantasy booking this whole thing. Um, There are limitations I don't know about and probably never will. Okay, let's get started. Number one, my first um, idea for Fanatics branded memorabilia can be summarized as follows be factual, be specific, and be transparent. There are several practices that we've already seen when it comes to cards that make me feel really good about owning a relic card. Now, does that eliminate the potential for bogus relics? Absolutely not, but it, I said it makes me feel better about them. Um, so unless we see a player take a jersey off in front of us and we witness the manufacturing process in its entirety, we have no way to be 100% certain. So there is some level of trust that comes into play. But the first thing that makes me feel good about owning a relic card is a specific written guarantee from a card company. If you want a great example of this, grab any of the multiplayer relics from 2009-2010 SP Game used Basketball. And it's funny because that set was really a memorabilia dump because upper deck had already lost the license they were on their way out but um, you know let's <laughs> let's hope panini can write the ship and go out with the bang as well. but um, we know they're capable of it. In fact Panini did a little better job with this earlier on in their run. So let's compare the wording on a magic Johnson Jersey card from 2009 or 2010 with one from this year. So the earlier version says this the enclosed piece of jersey was cut from an authentic jersey personally worn by Magic Johnson and an official, nba game the authentic game worn jersey was obtained and is guaranteed by panini america incorporated so that's pretty specific um okay and then a 2020 magic johnson relic says this the enclosed game worn used material is guaranteed by panini america incorporated now i should point out there are some skeptics out there that think panini is using that loose wording to swap in any other player's material if needed With the idea being, it just says it's game used. It doesn't say by who. Technically, I suppose the wording allows for that. You know, it's manipulative. Um, I'd like to think better that they're not doing that. And I don't think they're doing that personally, but um, it's caused a fair share of people to question things. So that's the point. If you're not going to be specific, then people are going to assume the worst, unfortunately. Um, So another thing then, I'm still on point number one, another thing that made me feel better about owning a Relic card in the past was when card companies would show you the source material on the back of the card. Donruss did it in the early 2000s, Fleer did it, Topps did it on a few sets in the mid-2000s for basketball, Um, and then Panini has done it on a few occasions that I've seen. One of them was the Kobe Shoe card that I told you about, and then also the 2016-2017 Grand Reserve card um, hickory short set, which is kind of a, a random one that to this day still stuns me that they even made that. But, um, now as I alluded to earlier, does that picture of the relic guarantee anything? Not necessarily, but at the same time, it offers a sort of uh, voluntary accountability on their part. It gave us a little peek behind the curtain. And at some point that just disappeared. However, in Uh, baseball tops managed to take this to an entirely different level with the MLB authentication program. And if you haven't seen this before on some of the higher end products, each relic piece has a certification sticker on the front of it with a code. You go to the MLB authentication website, punch it in, and it shows you the date the relic was authenticated and the date it was used. So it's got me thinking because if you go to fanatics website, they already have game dated relics for certain NBA teams. I think Um, I think it's Sixers, Jazz, Nets, Knicks, and Pistons. There might be one or two more, but it seems like that kind of relationship is already in place where that could be possible for NBA relics as well. If anyone could do it right now, I think it could be them. Okay, so that's all for point number one, um, which is going to be longer than some of the other points. But once again, that can be summarized by the saying, be factual, be specific, and be transparent. All right, item number two, I want to encourage fanatics to use technological trends to their advantage. When I say trends, I'm thinking things like Top Shot and blockchain, which I'll get into more um, the blockchain stuff when it comes to RPAs later on. Um, Now, I'll be the first to admit I'm not an expert on this kind of stuff at all. NFTs have never really appealed to me. But from an outsider's perspective, I've noticed that some of the more successful NFTs have some sort of physical uh, relic or physical experience attached to them. And that's where I think a company like Fanatics can combine the best of both worlds. Because um, for a handful of years, Panini had some great game-dated relic sets that pictured the player wearing the uniform that was cut up and placed into the card. Well, how great would it be to integrate a video component as a part of that as well? Something like, congratulations, congratulations, You've received a piece of a jersey personally worn by Kevin Durant on December 4th, 2021. Scan the QR code below to access an exclusive moment of him and this jersey in action. I think that'd be pretty cool, right? It adds value to the relic, and it adds significance to the video clip or the NFT at the same time. Um, And then fanatics can continue to build their physical and digital card worlds from there. Okay. Okay. So use technological trends to your advantage. I think this idea definitely needs to be fleshed out some more, but uh, not by me, by better people that have a better understanding of the digital marketplace. So maybe somebody else can pick up the reins from there. Number three, number three is something I have studied quite a bit and obsessed over might be a better descriptor, but um, item number three states, stop treating memorabilia pieces as means to an end. Okay, so stop treating memorabilia pieces as means to an end. In other words, stop making memorabilia sets just because you feel like you have to fill products. Take those same memorabilia sets and give them purpose. Now, I realize that's probably impossible to do for every single release, but it should be a lot more doable when you already have significant relics on hand. Like I said, this is not, I'm not trying to bash Panini, but I think we can learn uh, quite a bit from the mistakes of the past. And you know what, just for the record, they weren't the only company to mess this up anyway, but it's the one that's fresh in our minds. I think they've missed a huge opportunity when it came to NBA Finals jerseys. Here are a couple specific examples. I know I've mentioned at least one of them on here before, but in 2013-2014 Preferred, they used a Tracy McGrady NBA Finals jersey for one of their Finals booklets, and that was great. Um, And then they used the same color jersey for a few relics in 2016-2017 National Treasures as well. Now, seeing as Tracy played 31 total minutes for the Spurs, uh, total, right? And 14 of those were in the NBA Finals, you know. And like I said, the jersey material is the same. I think it's safe to assume that those NT relics were Finals Worn. But of course, that wasn't mentioned anywhere on the card, they were just going to use, you know, going to the spare parts bin and, and using historical artifacts to round out a random memorabilia set. Um, when this whole time, going back to number one, if they had just mentioned it on the back, that would have been a much more desirable pull. It would have added value for the customer and it would have made it a more valuable product up front, but they just didn't care. Now, similarly, they acquired a, um, a 1989 finals jersey for Mark Aguirre bad boys jersey, right? That's pretty cool. They made 10 cards total out of it that had finals branding, which by the way, I own three of them, but um, we haven't seen anything since, but we've seen a slew of Mark Acquire memorabilia cards using the same style blue Pistons jersey. Now my suspicions are they got inserted into random sets. Um, I never got any confirmation for that jersey specifically. No one that I've talked to seems to know But I have had former Panini employees tell me, or or one, I should say, not plural, but one, tell me that this happens with finals jerseys from time to time. So, you know, I could go on and on with this thought. Um, Where are all the Raptors pieces they acquired? Why didn't they utilize those pieces for a Canadian exclusive and tap into a fan base that spread throughout the entire country? You know, it is what it is. I have to move on. But just remember that conversation revolved around the historical pieces they already have in house and won't cost them anymore. Um, so now what about pieces that a lot of collectors have deemed undesirable like pieces of warmups, which for the record, I actually like those. A lot of collectors view those as second rate and question, if they should be considered game worn or not. I say yes. Uh, but anyway, they, they have been using memorabilia cards for several decades now because they're cheaper and in many cases easier to acquire. Um, But don't use that simply as a means to an end. If you're going to use a bunch of warm-ups to save money, then make a warm-up theme set. And this isn't necessarily anything new. Fleer did several variations of this, I think. Um, I remember one set was called Warming Up. And Upper Deck used a lot of warm-ups, but a lot of the time they didn't picture the players wearing them. Well, I think, you know, that would be pretty cool. And Um, Panini came very close to getting this right, but not quite. Um, they did a set in 2012 and 2013 limited called center stage materials that pictured every player in a warmup and the relics were large, but all the pieces were from jerseys, which is weird because they had a lot of warmups on hand. So then they did something similar in 2016 limited with a set called preparation relics, which showed them in warmups. And then the pieces were warm-ups but they were all really tiny pieces so you know thinking about what could have been but anyway um all i'm saying is this if you're going to include a memorabilia set in a product especially your high-end products take a moment to question if it has any real purpose you know it's the same thing i do with any um activity i do in my classroom if i plan to do something just to eat time it's a misuse of time and it's irresponsible so Anyway, don't use meaningful basketball artifacts just as a means to an end. And that segues nicely into the fourth piece of advice I have for fanatics. Start building your game-worn archive ASAP. Start seeking out those historical artifacts. Uh, Now, it would be foolish to think that they aren't already navigating some sort of relationship with the league or with teams individually to acquire current stuff, so I'm talking more about retired players and legends said it here before, but history is a great teacher. And Josh Luber has also said that his strategy is um, evolution more than revolution. So um, he's going to take some things that other companies have done and maybe try and build on that. Well, I think if Panini could do it all over again, I think they would have had more retired player stuff accumulated ahead of time. Um, And I know that the early threads in National Treasure set had legend sets, but they were mainly smaller pieces of some of the more common guys like Bird and Magic, Kareem, Isaiah, you know, and then yes, Danny Manning, Adrian Dantley, those kind of guys are in there too. There's nothing wrong with them, but all of those guys have tons of game-worn stuff on the market. Seems like every time I look at an auction house, it's there. Um, I want to give Panini props for having those guys in there at the start, but like I said, I think if they could, they'd go back and do it differently and try and have some of the stuff for the more obscure guys on hand, the 70s stuff, those kind of things that don't come up as often. The time to buy them is when you see them, especially if you plan to create memorabilia cards of them in the future. So if I was part of Fanatics, I would be scanning Golden, Heritage, SCP, and so on right now in search of stuff I knew could be handy down the road. And you know what? Even if they don't use them, then uh, I'm sure they could just send those jerseys back And um, probably even make some more money off of them. Okay. So, so far, I've only talked about game-worn materials. I'm going to assume that this year's, you know, quote-unquote, unworn relics were a COVID-related anomaly. Because, you know, for years now, I've seen people bash player-worn relics. But I don't expect a new company to eliminate player-worn relics either, as long as they're used uh, purposefully. This leads us to my next point, which is as follows. Meaningful events allow for meaningful event-worn materials. I'm just going to come right out and say I like the rookie photo shoot. I know people are kind of divided about that, but I think it's an important tradition in hobby history. I think it should continue. But if you want it to stay meaningful, you have to treat it as such. You know Why do you think so many people are dismissive of photo shoot relics anymore? Uh, Which is kind of ironic because some of them put the next day autos on a pedestal and, and those obtain their significance from the same event. But, you know, why do you think people are dismissive of photo shoot relics? Well, I think part of the reason is because they don't know much of anything about the photo shoot itself. And who controls that narrative? Well, card manufacturers. And in the pre-YouTube, pre-social media days, we got that information from Beckett Magazine. Well, today we have so many innovative ways to distribute information, yet the info's not really out there you know, supposedly there was some sort of event for 2021 rookies, but what kind of coverage have you seen from it? Probably not much. Uh, I found a few pictures and that was after quite a bit of digging. So it's got me wondering if Panini's marketing department didn't uh, accidentally impale themselves on the knight's lance at some point. But if you look on YouTube, there's a little bit of coverage from past years. I know I've seen footage of the 2013 class trading their next day autos, but you know what? I think it's time to ramp that coverage up again. And I don't have the perfect idea on how to do that, but I know for a fact it would involve YouTube and social media. Um, you know, Maybe give every player a GoPro if you have to. Host a live stream of the footage for a little bit. Let people pick which player camera they want to watch and then upload it to YouTube after the fact. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but um, do something to elevate this status of those relics. And at the same time, we don't need beach towels. We don't need Santa hats. Um, This photo shoot stuff should still have some limits because I I think some of that other corny stuff has uh, caused people to devalue the stuff that's actually basketball relevant. Um, Speaking of basketball relevant, in addition to the rookie photo shoot, the draft is another significant event that's not a game and that they can use stuff for And, um, you know, Panini has done that from time to time. And some of the other companies have too. They've given us draft day hats, which I think are pretty cool. Tops did something with Adam Morrison that I really liked because he was one of their company spokesmen. They convinced him to give up his draft day suit so they could cut it up and put it into cards. Now I, I realize a draft suits, an important piece of history for a player and his family, Uh, But I'd love to see them try and do that again. So maybe they could convince the player, hey, we'll give you 20 or 30 of these relics that you can pass out and distribute as a memento. Um, And then, of course, collectors would get the remainder of those, and it would be a fun little piece to commemorate the process. Um, Now, everything I've mentioned with event-worn so far has revolved around rookies. And I'm going to say this with a bit of hesitation, but player-worn or event-worn doesn't have to be limited to just rookies. (laughs) Now, the reason I hesitate to say that is because I hate what's happened with football products where practically all of the veterans are player-worn relics, despite what some people will tell you. uh, That hasn't happened in basketball yet, and I hope it never does. But when it comes to veterans, the one exception I would make is if you have an event that's meaningful. And I mentioned this idea in a recent episode where I talked about the NBA at 75, I think it's worth repeating, so I'm going to run through it real quick again, but a couple months ago, I was talking with Jason, aka Small Town Cards, and he said the NBA should organize some sort of heritage event, and my mind really took off from there. It would basically be the equivalent of a rookie photo shoot, but for the uh, 75 greatest players, or I guess 76 technically, uh, well, at least the ones that are living. We don't need any weekend at Bernie's memorabilia controversies, but um gather all these guys together for a casual luncheon at All Star Weekend, have them try on a jacket and a couple hats, snap a few pictures, and there you go. Um, you know, and I would make sure it's labeled on the back of the card. Something like the relic on the front of this card was worn by Bill Russell as a part of the NBA at 75 celebration. And then as an added bonus, fanatics could put up, you know, the photos on social media. You know, I know they're not gonna have the license in, but I'm just using that as an example in general. And there you have it, you know, meaningful relics that could be ordered at Dick's Porting Goods. So both the collector and the manufacturer could have their way. Okay, so once again, that point was meaningful events allow for meaningful event-worn materials. Last but not least, idea number six. It's time to revolutionize the RPA. I know I'm going to have some ideas here that some people aren't going to like and that don't fit how they collect, you know, that's okay. I'm just one dude. Um, and a lot of my RPA thoughts revolve around fraud prevention because you know, that's something that I've really worked hard with over the last several years. So just keep that in mind. That's my lens that I'm looking through, but, um, it's going to be kind of tricky because there's no guarantee that the RPA fanatics chooses is going to become the RPA. That's something that collectors will determine over time. You know, for example, I like, uh, several things better than you know the established norm. I think 2003 Exquisite Limited Logos, I like that a lot better for LeBron than the base RPA. Uh, for newer National Treasure stuff, I like the Immaculate Acetate Horizontal RPAs way better. But you know what? We all have our preferences. But um, a lot of things that I'm going to propose here for the future can probably only be done for a product or two because it is going to be costly and it is going to be labor intense. But um, you know, they can't do it for every single RPA that comes out in the season. So they, they might have to try and steer collectors towards a certain one at the start and just hope that it catches on. But whatever the main RPA ends up being, I would like to see them encased from the very start. Um, even if they know a lot of collectors are going to end up breaking them out. Now I'm not talking about a a one touch with a sticker over the top. I want something a little more Uh, tamper proof like one of their fanatic slabs and I know you know a lot of people aren't going to like that so I get that but um, I want I would want something like that it's got the serial number on the label as well find something that looks classy and that looks nice so that way if any of these cards show up sand slab people know that they might have been tampered with that's not to say that they have been but hey you know whoever owned this chose to take it out buy at your own risk And then somewhere else on the label, whether it be the front or the back, there needs to be a QR code that pulls up a database that features a picture of that print run online so they can see that card with the original patch Um, and then also have them numbered, of course. So, um, you know, I don't feel like patch swapping is as big of a deal anymore, but I'd like to keep it that way. Um, Now, also, remember earlier when I said that Fanatics needs to adopt current technological trends? Well... If you got a database for patches online, this would be a perfect opportunity to utilize blockchain technology. And I figure, you know, if they want to, they can even develop a marketplace where they take a small percentage of every transaction that happens with those RPAs too. Uh, That way, this thing that costs resources could still kind of be self-sustaining. So, you know, it generates those same resources in this whole process. Um, I know this isn't perfect. I know some big RPA people might be cringing right now. There are some pretty big flaws in what I've, I've just talked about for that RPA section that need to be worked out, but it's a start. I'm a big believer in ideas being developed as a community, you know, throw some ideas out there um, and, and kind of chew on them and wrestle with them and then have at it. So that's, that's kind of what I've done. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to run through these one more time real quick for you. Here are six ideas that I have for Fanatics branded memorabilia cards. Number one, be factual, be specific and be transparent. Number two, use technological trends to your advantage. That would be like NFTs and blockchains. Number three, stop treating memorabilia pieces as means to an end. Number four, start building your game-worn archive ASAP, especially for Legends. Number five, meaningful events allow for meaningful event-worn materials. And number six, it's time to revolutionize the RPA. Now I mentioned Josh Luber earlier. He's the guy that's going to be sort of spearheading this trading card deal for them. Um, if you liked some of these ideas, maybe you'll consider tagging him or reaching out to him on IG. Um, his handle is at Josh Luber. Now, as usual, um, if you want to find me on there as well, you can. My handle is at wax museum podcast, or if you go to Twitter, I'm at wax museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com.